This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Have you been struggling lately? Maybe you're having trouble sleeping, difficulty with the relationship, or just suffering from low self-esteem. If so, then BetterHelp wants to help you. BetterHelp offers licensed therapists who are trained to listen and to help you. You get to talk to your therapist in a private, online environment at your convenience. There's a broad range of expertise in BetterHelp's 20,000-plus therapist network, and they give you access to help that may not be available in your area. You just need to fill out a questionnaire to help assess your specific needs, and then you get matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. Join the 2 million-plus people who have taken charge of their mental health with an experienced BetterHelp therapist. And there's a special offer to Nowhere to Be Found listeners. You'll get 10% off of your first month, but only if you go through the link or type in betterhelp.com slash ntbf for Nowhere to Be Found. That's better betterhelp.com slash ntbf. Thanks again to BetterHelp for sponsoring this episode. And you can find the link in our show notes and on our website, nowheretobefoundpodcast.com. Tonight's episode is brought to you by Oregon Wild Rice. Oregon Wild Rice is a local company that we are so excited to be partnering with. The Langdon family have been farming in Harrisburg for approximately 120 years. They started out as a farm to sustain their growing family and then grew into commercial farming. 80 years ago, they acquired 140 acres with heavy clay soil. For 75 years, the family had drained the land and tried to grow grass seed with varying results. Five years ago, they decided to stop fighting the land. They moved some dirt, built berms on two sides, and within three days, they had rice paddies. So far, they have not had to add water to the paddies. Oregon wild rice grows in 100% Oregon rain. I love that this rice is locally grown and sustained right here in Harrisburg. It's important to know where your food comes from these days. Here in the Pacific Northwest, it doesn't get any better than Oregon wild rice. I got to try their wild rice recently, and I can honestly say that I've never seen rice like this before. I'm genuinely a picky eater and greet most foods with skepticism, but I was blown away. Their rice is a healthy, delicious, better choice side dish. So thanks again to Oregon Wild Rice for sponsoring tonight's episode. I'll post the link to their website in our show notes so you can check them out. Previously on Nowhere to be Found. Michael had his demons that he fought. Um, the, bottom, the bottom line is Michael's missing. He, he vanished. It was definitely like a mini renegade out there. And so the day that we got the call that Michael was missing, like, I knew that he was, I just knew that he was gone. I mean, I think 100% I know that they gave him too much acid. We went out in our party that said the noise would be okay. She walked into their camper in the hours of the morning. The original versions of what happened were pretty pretty consistent a, a lot among the, the core group of people were messaging me because they thought he might come here because this was one of his safe havens. That at around the same certain time frame, everybody had some place to be. It was like, bam, we just got our answers. Um, I think that people, people went to town to try and talk to 
his roommates or his friends and see if anyone had seen him in mm-hmm. case he did get a ride back. Mm-hmm. I probably went up there like a quarter to a half a mile in each direction and we saw nothing. Okay. So I went back. He was making huge steps in the right direction and had a lot of potential and he had a lot of dreams that he was making into a reality. I looked across the creek, like just normal, like, you know, that's where your eyes wander across to see if you see anything. Uh, those items would have been probably pretty easy to spot from the road. I'm your host, Amanda Papineau, and this is Nowhere to be Found. not many people closer to this case than Trent, Michael's uncle. He's a police officer for Eugene PD and Tina's brother. Trent has been there for every step of this nightmare, and he's been able to give so much good advice and insight, partly due to his law enforcement experience. He isn't a big talker usually, but I knew it would be an injustice to not hear from him. To start off, I asked Trent what he thought about Michael's items being found near the campground. Um, honestly, I, I believe they were placed there after the fact. Um, I do not believe they were there, you know, when we were up there searching the entire three plus weeks that we basically lived up there. Right. I do not believe they were there at that time. I think they were placed after that. Just because um, you feel long, like you would have, you feel like you would have seen it, like you were in that spot, or just. I know for a fact I searched that spot. Okay. Um, where they were found was kind of behind a tree that did have, um, you know, it would have had um, a lot more um, leaves and stuff. Okay. And it's kind of a steep hillside. So, I mean, back in August, they would have been hit a little bit more. Um, I just, I, I cannot fathom, because I literally, in that bush that they were behind, I looked around that bush and, and actually looked inside that bush a little bit just oh, because yeah. of where this location was. It was, I mean, it, you know, it's right along the, the main road, right along the creek. And I mean, yeah. And I, and I know other people search that same area too. So I, I just, I, I would find it very hard to believe that they were there at that time. If so, they would have had to have been covered up with leaves, moss, something to kind of hide them a little bit, which is, is possible. And then the weather could have, you know, made them visible sure yeah two seasons i mean talking about the the leaves falling and covering it but then breaking down and now being at the point where it might be visible again i would buy that uh except for like you said um even in talking to randy you know the little road that was right across there is apparently the road that he was taking off from for a good portion of time with the drone and he said the exact same thing, that he he knows for a fact that his own eyes have searched that exact area, and he is solid, wasn't there. Yeah. And then, so let's just say then that, okay, they were placed there. What does that mean to you? Um, my mind goes several different places with that. Um, if they're placed there, I think somebody's messing with us. Okay. Um, if they're placed there after the fact, if they're placed there, you know, right in the beginning and covered up, mm-hmm. um, you know, 
That's why I say my mind kind of goes different right, places. Right. So after the fact, yeah, I, I definitely think somebody would be messing with us and trying to get us off track or just, you know, they're just sick. Um, yeah, I think that's really interesting. You know, the point seven miles away from from the camp, for me, just kind of closed the door on any, you know, he walked away ideas that have been yeah, going out you, there. We knew from the very beginning that was not the case. Right. That's the devil's advocate other side, though, right? That That people are saying, oh, you know, he started over. He doesn't want to be found. That's like the easy the easy way out so that you know you don't have to <laughs> go any farther than that but to me there's just no way for that to fit with his items being found there in the dirt yeah. tell me about you know there's been these things kind of thrown out there through social media on the other page and and just you know rumors flying about a bullet casing or a bloody shirt that was found in that area. Do you have any insight on that? I found a casing that I um, basically put in an evidence bag when we were first searching up there. Um, it was found, you know, basically in the middle of the road, um, not too far away from Hobo Campground. And where it was, there was a sign that obvious has obvious bullet holes in it so it's a common place that people shoot but it was a very fresh casing um that's why i seized it just in case um and that was my thought at that time is like um you know the chances are of somebody shooting at the sign but it is in the road i wanted to take it just in case because it was a you know it looked like a fresh casing that had just recently been shot okay so i seized that um back i mean probably with the first week that we were up there um, the shirt, um, I never saw the shirt. The shirt was found more towards, <clears throat> down by the Grange, towards Cottage Grove. A long ways away from Hobo. I mean, we're, I mean, probably 15 miles. How about that um, casing? How far was that found? That was probably within, I don't know, one to two miles. Okay. In the same direction, any chance, as the items were found? No, opposite. Got it. Okay, that's good to know. And it was um, found... The shirt, though, I, I never saw the shirt. Okay. Um, but I was told that it appeared to have been, like, um, either throw-up or feces or something like that. It did not appear to be blood. So, really, in, in your mind, and when it was found, the idea was that this is not Michael's, and it is not... It does not pertain to this case. Correct. Okay. But it was, it was seized in... I, I believe whoever took it actually turned it into Eugene police who then turned it over to the county who's investigating the case. But I mean, you're kind of in an interesting position since you, you work for EPD and obviously you're, you know, Michael's uncle and, and Tina's brother. So you're, you've been through every single step of this with them. Um, do you feel like being tied to law enforcement has, had any effect on this for you how you look at it and what what you guys are doing and it's probably made my involvement harder to be honest sure um because i it, it's hard to be on both sides Absolutely. and, I, and I'm, not, I'm not trying to say sides but um when information comes in um i have to look at it at two different points of view 
mm-hmm. and to look at it on the law enforcement side mm-hmm. of what importance it has. Um, is the detective going to want to know this? You know, how much how much do we really put into this information or whatever it is? At the same point, I'm also dealing with the family side of it, um, which is a lot more emotionally driven and you know it's it's just it's harder so the where i've been kind of cut caught in the middle is a lot of it's been trying to calm down um teen and parish sure to the point you know where it's like they and i completely i I can't say understand i've never been in their shoes I, i will never say that but they want answers and they yeah. wanted answers from day one. And I told them in the very beginning, and I've had to keep telling them that this is going to take a while. Right. Even if we start getting evidence and we start getting pieces of the puzzle put together, it's going to take a while, you know, to get the different levels of closure that we want. And this is a case that probably is one of the harder cases to work on the law enforcement side because there's not a lot of evidence there's no body right there's not a crime scene i mean there's nothing i mean literally for the longest time we had and we still have a missing persons case but there's enough evidence you know especially with finding um some of the items that it's like there's enough stuff going on here that it's pretty obvious that it, this is not a missing person case, that this is actually a, a criminal case. Right. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm very interested to see, you know, I know Parrish told me that some stuff had been sent. Um, either his items had been sent in for DNA collection or uh, I, I'm not really sure what he, what all he said was being sent in there. But it sounds like there's some stuff that they that law enforcement has now kind of in their court. And you guys are just kind of waiting to see how it all shakes out yes okay it's literally a parent's worst nightmare because of the type of case it is it takes so long right to to get stuff i mean until we have um, more evidence or a body or you know somebody coming forward with you know the pertinent information that that we still need Mm -hmm. um yeah it's it's a waiting game Okay. Which is really, really unfortunate for a Keenan Parrish, Crystal. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Now, there, there's literally tips and leads that come in every day, and we just have to kind of go through those and and see where they go. I mean, you never know what will be that one thing that, you know, it gives you the gold mine that you've been looking for. And right. The one uh, theory that, that keeps coming back around, and we kind of heard, heard about it from Brett first, um, was this uh, secondary group coming to the party um, later in, in the night and either taking Michael away or something happens with this secondary group? And uh, I'm curious what your thought is on that because the first thing that I thought when he told me that was that that would mean that a, a lot of people that were at that party, some of who I've spoken to personally – are all covering up for this group that showed up. And I kind of had a hard time believing that. Because why not just throw them under the bus if you don't know them? They're not really your friends. What do you think about that? Is that a valid theory in your mind? And is that one that you're kind of leaning on to? I don't There's still, to me, there's a couple different theories. Um, 
and one of them still it makes me think that something happened at the party and a lot of those party goers or maybe not many of them but a few of them know exactly what happened to michael Mm -hmm. um and whether it was an od an accidental one on purpose whatever it is then some you know then they had to deal with michael and they freaked out and you know they had to do something with him right i think that's that's a theory sure um there's a you know there's a theory that he walked away and, and went into another campground or got picked up or got in a dispute on the road. Um, that's also a very um, good possibility. Sure. And every I mean I mean at times we've had like four or five different theories going on, and you put each one on a whiteboard, and there's evidence for each one that's yes. basically shows yes this could have happened and then you have other people i mean you look at one theory and you're, you're like this is it this is i mean this has to be it mm-hmm. and then you talk to a bunch of other people and they're you know you get their statements and it's like well no there's no way that could have happened because of this right you know they're saying he was they saw michael here and it's like it's so confusing and <laughs> it's complicated it really is there's also a much bigger, and I hate to use the word business, but there's a, a much bigger organized part of this party going scene that is very much a very small group that is loyal, and they are a lot more the the mindset of the business thing to grow the business, protect the business, and that kind of thing. So there's a large group there that was just there to have fun, party, relax. There's another smaller group that was there to make money. So even though that side of it, you, you talk to them and, and some of them said they, they were not taking um, you know, drugs or they might have just been doing alcohol, but they didn't do drugs. And I mean, there's different things on whoever you talk to, but every, they're all under the influence of something. Sure. So you're talking to a bunch of people or witnesses that have been there for several days partying drinking doing drugs you know and and this you know could have happened somewhere anytime between like you know 9 or 10 p.m to 4 a.m right so you're trying to get all of these people's statements and make sense out of it it's not going to make sense right and i mean when we first got there and the main group came out and said you know this is what happened and you know, you have, you know, six or eight people all given the exact same story. I instantly, that's when I, I knew something had happened. Something's yeah. not right. Because you can go to a bank robbery in the middle of the day in downtown Eugene and have, you know, 10 sober, you know, witnesses in the bank. And you're going to get 10 different descriptions of the suspect. Exactly. That's normal. So for these people to be under the influence of whatever, whether it's alcohol, drugs, whatever it was, and it's, you know, two, three, four o'clock in the morning, and you're telling me everybody has the exact same story, was instantly a red flag. It is pretty tight. It's, I mean, within a half an hour. Uh, that's, that's the thing that is so, and I hate to use this word, but fascinating about this case mm-hmm. is... It, I mean, it's so extreme in so many different directions. Yeah. I mean, and it, I mean, literally, this has been a 
an, an emotional roller coaster from day one, and it has not stopped. Absolutely. I mean, I, I have to specifically not get involved in certain things because I know I can't go down that road. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as keeping my own, um, you know, mental awareness and just being sharp, and I, I can't. I don't know. It's hard to explain. No, um, I, I, yeah, I. I, I mean, there's just some things I, I I just can't really deal with, and one of it is all the drama and all the tips and stuff like that. If, if there's a decent tip that comes in, people know to give it to me mm-hmm. and I'll follow up on it. But especially early on when, you know, all day long you're getting people calling and stuff. I'm like, no, I don't, I, I can't. No, it'll Not fog your mind. In that because right. I, I can't deal with it. Somebody else has to deal with that stuff. I um, think somebody else should. <laughs> I mean, really the biggest part for me has been, um, helping Tina perish you know, figure things out, keeping them level-headed, keeping their spirits up the best I can. Mm -hmm. Um, And, I mean, just keeping them focused on the positive stuff, not the negative stuff. Mm -hmm. I know you don't know, but if you had to guess, what do you think happened to Michael? That is a very tough question. I, I, I feel that... Um, Michael did leave the party. I think he ran into some other people, uh, either along the roadway or at another par- uh, campground, and that's where his demise took place. Um, whether it's an argument, a fight, or somebody just being pure evil, um, and it could be a combination of all of that. Um, th- that's how I'm feeling right now. Okay. Until until we have more evidence, it's you know it's a mind game. Yeah, absolutely. But I also think that for the people that are involved in this and that know what happened and refuse to to step up and say something, you know, karma's a bitch. We started this whole thing with Tina and Parrish Bryson, and I think it's only right to end it with them too. So. It's been a while since we have talked to you guys. I think it was back in September that we did our last interview. So I'm hoping we can just kind of get caught up with everything that's happened since then. I know it's it's kind of a whirlwind. It probably seems like a lifetime, but what, what all has been going on for you guys? Oh, boy. I uh, know. September, it's been a whirlwind of investigations, uh, gathering information, talking to people, at least three or four days a week, we've been out searching, um, and then the rest of the time we're home gathering data, um, you know, gathering information from people on the phone, and then following up on that information. So we had to finally tell ourselves we had to take like at least one day and just stop. Oh my gosh, yes, that is um, so long to maintain this. Your guys's perseverance and just sheer willpower to continue doing this day after day is astounding impressive and just amazing so yeah a day off seems warranted and probably would be good for you both yeah it 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 takes so much out of you um you know but we are determined to find out really what happened to michael we are still just wanting to find him are there a lot of tips coming in there are still tips coming in 
if not daily, every other day, we get a phone call or a message on Messenger, and it just seems like we, we try and follow those leads, and we try to give it to the detective, and, you know, it's it's hard. Yeah, it seems like that would just be a constant, it's like constantly mentally wearing. Like, it doesn't, <laughs> yeah, I'm sure your brain doesn't turn off at night. I don't know how it could. Yeah, it's, um, that's the hardest part is coming home and, and like you just said, turning things off. Right, unwind. The only thing that you really can turn off is the ringer on the phone. There's been days where I've been up searching and we have a satellite texting device so if Gina can get a hold of me or anybody can while I'm up there. There's been days where I've been up there searching and a tip will come in that's a very important tip and I get a text saying, hey, get into Cottage Grove right now. Oh my you know, gosh. and then we bust down off the mountain and come down and, and, you know, meet Cottage Grove and follow another tip. And it's just like a constant extreme roller coaster ride. Yeah, it's your nice. adrenaline must be going through the roof constantly. Yeah. So, I mean, since September, I mean, talking to Brett, um, we talked to Brett for kind of a while and he was able to really walk us through some of the investigative work that was going on and... Um, you know, he couldn't say exactly what, but at that point he was saying that he was looking for a confirmation from some of the people who were at the party, uh, about a group that had showed up. Is that kind of still the direction you guys are going or has it gone another direction since then? Um, that's the hard part is we have tips that come in, like she, like Tina was saying, you know, every other day, every day that, that support, um, two different scenarios and again these two different scenarios they cross paths mm-hmm. um so it's really kind of one scenario but it's with two different groups of people that cause this scenario to happen so is one of those scenarios the thing that we were just talking about about brett said that um yes. that group yeah. shows up to the party late later yeah. and that to me you know would mean a lot of other people know what happened or at least who's involved and that they're all staying quiet. If a group showed up and everybody purposely scattered um, and kind of left Michael out to dry sort of thing, that would mean a lot of people know and are keeping it to themselves. Correct. And then the other, the other scenario is Michael saw something or was in the same vicinity of something that was going down and then uh, walked away to, to kind of get away from it. Um, we've heard from several people that, you know, that Michael said on the bus, you know, what, you don't want me here? And he gets up and leaves. Well, that's not Michael. And the only reason that Michael would say something like that was if something was going on on the bus that they didn't want Michael to see. Yeah, that's interesting uh, because I think it was Bree that said at some point, I asked her if the story that she had heard was the same story you know that he was on the bus he said that he and walked away and she said yes that was the same story and I said does that strike you as odd at all like for him and she said well yeah it would be kind of odd I mean unless he like walked in on a private conversation or something and then you know I could see them saying him saying what you don't want me here and I kind of thought that that was interesting what type of private conversation within a group of friends and that's kind of the, the scenario that I'm talking about is how two these two different scenarios kind of blend into one, you know? Um, so. Hmm. Okay. 
And so what about the items that were found? Uh, what, what can you tell me about that? How did you guys, how did that all come to be? I got a phone call um, from a gentleman that was driving and said that he is fairly certain that he found some items of Michael's. And um, I let Parrish, I let Parrish know about it. We were home. Um, I let Parrish know about it, and then we immediately called the detective, and the detective had called search and rescue. So we all met at the get and go market um, prior to going up to Hobo. Uh, we all met there, and this gentleman met us too. And then we went up to around that area up by Lund Campground, and he showed us where the items were. He had not moved them, so the detective was able to go and pick up the items and do his part of his investigation. And, and he also, you know, since we were there, we were able to identify the items as Michael's. And no doubt in your mind, those are his items. No doubt. No doubt. No doubt whatsoever. And is there a reason in particular that um, what the items are is not being disclosed? Just for the investigation, um, that we're, we've been asked not to um, share what what they were. Okay. So yeah, okay. Did, we've been asked to to keep that under wraps until things get closer. Sure. Uh, the the scenario that that kind of baffles all of us is we had ourselves as the family had three different organized searches that went down through that area. Search and rescue had been down through that area three or four times, organized searches. We had over 200 people for two weeks a day up there, and not all of them checked in with us. So mm-hmm. to have that many people in that area for that long, um, and the, and not, not only that fact, but the fact that, like I was saying before, myself, um, other groups of people that go up with, with Tina and I to search, um, for us not to see these items and, and granted foliage did fall, you know, right. the trees were bare, but where they were at, my own gut tells me they were planted. They were not there since August 5th. And that's what Randy thought as well. Um, he told me he's been right there. He actually takes off from the little road right across from that. He takes off for the drone, and he said, you know, of course he can't say with 100% certainty, but he's pretty dang sure. He's like, I've been there so many times, there's no way that wasn't right there, and that my eyes haven't hit that exact spot. Now, granted, if rain slid them down 200 yards from where they were originally, okay. Not not possible. Not possible? Not possible. How come? And the the reason I, I tell you that is because... If you take if you take some items and you put them up the hillside a hundred yards, mm-hmm. and you have weather that drives them down, whether it be rain, snow, an animal, mm-hmm. those items are not going to lay in a six foot diameter. They're not going to travel a hundred yards down a hillside and land in a six foot diameter. Together, you mean? Together, Together right? Yeah. So they'd be more There's, spread out. Exactly. There is no possible way all of those can be in that same exact spot and travel down that hillside 100 yards. Hmm, interesting. Yeah, that is a good point, that they were right there together. Yep, and, and like I said, when you pulled up, 
when we pulled up on the road and stopped, you could see them. I mean, they were just like right there. So who is this guy that found them? We had heard that um, this this guy had been up searching. Um, he's a logger. And we actually heard that he had been up searching um, in August when Michael went missing. Mm-hmm. And he was just driving along with his dog. He was off work. And he had been up there, you know, for a few days looking when he found these items. Hmm. So... Okay, that's really interesting. I wonder how long they've been there. Do you have the items now, or did they take them? The detective has them. Okay. And just to, to go on what you just said right there, how long they were there, uh-huh. uh, we were up there with a party of um, five people searching on Sunday, and the items were found Monday or Tuesday. And you were so, right there in that spot? In that Yes, in that same area. Um, drove by it several times, so... Like I said, the fact that we did not see them, <laughs> there's no way that those items were there on on Saturday and Sunday when we were up there searching. There's no way. Interesting. So now for that, I mean, it's kind of just in law enforcement's hands, right? And they will decide. I'm sure they're running it for DNA and all that. Correct. You know, and that's, yeah. and that's something else that, you know, we can, um, another rumor that we can squish right now, and that is the T-shirt that was found down by the Grange. Yeah. That... That was not Michael's, and that T-shirt did not have blood all over it. How do you know um, it wasn't Michael's? Um, well, <laughs> we know it wasn't Michael's because it wasn't a shirt that Michael had. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, uh, it, like, I, uh, like I was saying, it wasn't blood that was on the T-shirt. It was actually crap. Someone had used the shirt to wipe themselves. Oh, okay. So, yeah, and, and there was mold all over that shirt also. When it was found, which was right, uh, yeah. af- right yeah. after he went missing, right? It right, was- correct. So it had been there for quite some time. So okay. the, and, and that, and again, to, to, to squish any kind of rumors, mm-hmm. um, that was handed directly to the detective as soon as it was found. The pictures were taken. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were brought, and we gave them immediately to the detective. And, I mean, that's what the detective told us as far as what was on the shirt and how long the shirt had been there. And there's... There's no way that it was Michael's because it, it had been there so long that it was moldy. Yeah, and then what about the um, bloody casing? Is there any truth to that? So the only casing that we know of um, is the one that we found up by the Bohemia Saddle Road, and it also was right next to a glow bracelet. Mm-hmm. Um, we were also told that you know they had glow bracelets and necklaces that were handed out at the party. Um, oh. So that's the only shell casing that we're aware of that was turned in because that one was pretty fresh. Anybody who's been up there searching or camping or anything, there is thousands of shell casings all over that place, Hmm. all over that place. And you can tell a shell casing that's been there. If you, if you handle firearms, you can tell a shell casing that's been out and weathered for uh, a month, a year, six months versus a couple days. Mm Mm-hmm. And any other shell casings that had been brought to our attention and or the detective's attention were shell casings that were extremely old. Okay. But this one was not? The one that that we turned in uh, was more of a fresh casing, yes. Okay. And it was found right next to a glow bracelet. And there's reason to believe that there were glow bracelets at the party. Correct. But then again, you know, that casing, it was fresh, yes, but... Does that mean that it was has to do with Michael? We you know we have no idea. That's that's something that law enforcement does, not us. Okay, 
Well, that's good to clear that up because, yeah, um, you know, for anybody who's not following along in the Facebook um, pages, you know, there's these things that are thrown out there. There's there's a lot of speculation and um, it's hard to keep it all straight. So that was something that was thrown out there uh, on Facebook about the about the casing and the T-shirt. So um, yes. good to kind of put those to rest. And there's, there's something now that you mentioned Facebook. I, there is one point that I need to make. Sure. I'm just speaking from, from my family. Mm-hmm. Um, the horrific nightmare that we are living every day for over five months now. It still blows my mind away that there are people out there that find humor in causing grief or more grief for a family. And the reason I say that is a few days ago, someone posted a pile of bones next to a green-like riverbed. Mm-hmm. This was a fake profile. Um, I've asked that person to reach out to me, and they will not reach out to me. They won't even respond to the message. So I guess what I'm saying is these people that are out there that think this is funny or it's a game, it's not a game. And you're not just playing with the immediate family when you do that. You're torturing a lot of people. I mean, Michael has reached so many people. And when they do that, I mean, it's 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 not just Parrish and Tina and Krista that they're hurting. They're hurting a whole community. Yeah. And it's just, it's cruel. It's mean. You know? It's so mean-spirited. I don't understand it. Uh, even if you feel somehow like, you know, I don't even know. There's nothing that warrants that. I, I, it's just absolutely mind-boggling to me how you could hit post on that when you've got it all typed out and you see that picture. Yeah. And I'm so sorry you guys are dealing with that. It makes me sick. I'm glad it was taken down. That's absolutely not helping, and we don't need anybody like that on any of the pages for Michael. No, not at all. The whole reason this page was put up was to gather clues and help support the search efforts. And because of Michael, it has nothing to do with Parrish. It has nothing to do with Tina. Um, it has nothing to do with Krista. It's all Michael. And because of Michael's story and because of the mystery around Michael's story, that page has blown up. Mm-hmm. Um, and because it blew up, we had some issues with it. You know, if in September, when we talked about all that, if I had known that at some point there would be people who were actively fighting you guys every day, I I wouldn't have believed it. But there actually are people who are actively trying to mess with you. Yeah. 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 And when we, how we approached that was, what can we do? on our side of Facebook to detour that. And that was cut all comments for a Mm -hmm. while. And then it went from cutting all comments to cutting all posts. So now, you know, the only people that can post are like four admins Mm -hmm. on the page. Um, And, and, and for people that are listening, I apologize for that because I know that there are people that want to reach out to Tina and I and, and tell us positive things and that want to tell us other things, you know, and, and hopefully one of these days we can open the comments back up again or, or not just the comments, but the posting where people can post things. Because honestly, the the prayers and the support that we get from people outside of our immediate family, that's what gets me out of bed every day and go out and search. Mm-hmm. That's what gets Tina out of bed every day to field the phone calls, to send me out where I need to go be sent out to search. 
you know, and, and plus tried to, to run our household at home. And begin to heal. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. That, yeah. And time to heal. Yeah, we got to put that in there somewhere, too. You're somewhere in there, right? <laughs> you know, and, and I don't mean to sound crass about it. It's just everyone grieves differently. You know? Oh, and definitely. Everyone deals with things differently. And, and it's just really hard to go through that process when you feel like your back's against the wall with everything you may or may not say right. Right. And so kind of going off of that, I mean, what's been... What's the newest uh, status between you and, you know, the party goers? Um, just so, so with that term, um, I'm, I'm glad you asked that, Amanda. I don't like to group them all into one basket of party goers because we have had quite a few people that were at the party that actually have reached out to Tina and I in a positive way. And, and they have helped us um, along this journey. Mm-hmm. Not just in, not just in searching in town, putting up flyers, you know, doing things like that. So I, I don't want to group them all like that, but I will say that there are, is still a handful of individuals that are doing everything that they can to cause strife and to, I don't want to say put roadblocks up, but I mean, just bringing things up like what we talked about like five minutes ago, the, the bloody shirt that, you know, and the, and the shell casing, I mean, all these things that are, I don't want to say people are grasping at straws. It's just, these are things that we've already dealt with. And if you have, if you have questions, we're the ones that you can call and talk to or send me an email or send me a message and I'll answer it Mm -hmm. as, you know, as best as I can without compromising the investigation, you know? And, and that's another thing is, you know, I've been accused personally, I have been accused of, um, withholding evidence, you know, and not being 100% honest. Well, no, that's not it. What it is is not giving out information that's going to compromise the investigation because the bottom line is we are going to find Michael and we are going to find out what happened to him. It um, needs to be by the book, though. I understand what you're saying. Like, it does, you know, we all want the answers right now, but in order for this to to really get justice if something happened, um if it's a foul play situation and it has to go through the courts, it has to be done correctly. And so you guys have to jump through the hoops of, you know, you, you have to stay quiet on some things if you know them. And a lot of the time you guys are probably in the dark. That's just how the system works. But, um, it is, you know, I think the truth has a way of coming out and I believe in our system for the most part. I think that, um, it is a matter of time before, you know, all the hoops have been jumped through and either charges can be pressed or whatever it is that needs to be done can be done. Yeah. I mean, so. we're getting, like I said, we're, uh, we're getting, we're still getting tips, like I said, almost every day. And hmm. where these tips are coming from, it's just, it's amazing. Yeah, that's um, really odd. The people that are, com- the people that are coming forward, um, because um, whether they there, there's several you know things that will lead to that whether they heard something and it's eating at their conscience or or they saw something and it's eating at their conscience. Um, so are or, you guys kind of like numb to them now, where you get them and it's just like you don't believe them at all because they you know you just can't get your hopes up, or do you feel yourself believing some more than others and and really jumping in? Um, a little of both. Fifty fifty. I mean the way the way I talk to people when they when they come to us with a tip, um, whether it be face-to-face and or on the phone, 
I try to put them at ease as much as I can by telling them there is no scenario that you're going to tell me that, number one, we either haven't heard, number two, we haven't thought of. Right. Nothing that you're going to tell me is going to shock me. Nothing that you're going to tell me is going to make me break down and cry in front of you. Mm-hmm. Because, honestly, we have done that. And that's that, that, that's part of it. I mean, like I said, we, when you start to hear the same tip, you're like, okay, this is the same story that we heard before. Let's let them, let's let them you know, play it out and see if they add a different name or a different location or whatever, you know, and, and kind of go that route. And so every tip that we take in, we take serious, every one of them. Because that could be that one that we need. and it, it, But it's a matter of, you know, do I take it? Does Tina take the tip? Do I take the tip? You know, does the does the detective take the tip? Um, does Brett or Mark take the tip? Because, I mean, this is a group effort. This is not just family. This is not just Detective Smith. This is everybody. It's an army now. <laughs> it is an army. And we're all, we are all marching for the same goal, and that is to bring Michael home. Absolutely. Um, speaking of Brett, so what is Brett's role in this now? Um, last we heard from Brett, he was very involved, you know, since the Facebook page has kind of quieted down, we haven't been hearing as much. What, what's the status there? Him and, him and Mark are still very involved. Okay. Um, they, I mean, as, as you know, one of them is, um, you know, California and the other one's in Idaho and, but they both, you know, come and, and, and do things, you know, periodically and they call a lot. Um, we FaceTime a lot. Um, so yeah, they're, they're both, you know, still involved. Okay. Um, we couldn't, we would not be where we're at today if it wasn't for both of those gentlemen. Yeah. Uh, and honestly, they both have gotten a lot of crap. I mean, there's no other way to put it. I mean, a lot of strife in their life, mm-hmm. um, for helping us with this case. Um, some of it, um, you know, I, I don't know. I, I don't want to get into the political crap because this isn't a, but this isn't a platform for politics. Right. It's just, these guys have not taken a dime from us as far as compensating them for their time. They've done it all on their own. That, that speaks volumes to Tina and I. Um, I mean, Mark had a, his daughter dated Michael, so he he had met Michael, you know. Right, right. We um, so talked to him. He was little, great. He had a little personal investment in it, if you will. Sure. Um, but Brett did not, you know. And for him to come out here and do what he did, um, not just once but twice, and to help us from afar, um, to help us with um, a young man um, in rehab, um, I mean, I tell you, uh, I might not agree with everything that Brett says or Brett does, but the bottom line is he's got a good heart and he's trying to help us find our boy. And that's what's important. Yeah. Well, I'm glad to hear that, you know, kind of in the same boat, I didn't really get involved with a lot of the issues and politics and stuff that were happening, but um, I certainly can appreciate the work and the hours that he's put in because I don't think people realize uh, how taxing mentally and physically just hiking can be, let alone searching for somebody day in and day out. Uh, out, And, you know, we heard some of the stories down cliff sides and all this stuff. So, um, and then, you know, also just the not coming back with anything um, day after day, I think is, is absolutely taxing in a different way. So I have a lot of respect for, for him and obviously for you guys, but for anybody who's been out there searching continuously, it's, it is not for everybody. 
No, it's not. You know, and that's and that's kind of goes along the lines of I've got so many people that call it. I wish I could do more. I wish I could do more. And I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm telling you right now, your prayers, your, your prayers and your your comments are what keep us going. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't expect uh, we've got a lot of 80 year old prayer warriors that are pushing us every day. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, I don't expect them out there hiking the trail. But I tell you what, I, I know they're I know they're with us every day. Yeah, they're holding their weight on the other end. So. Yep. Okay. Um, so what, you know, how do you guys move forward from here? I know you're kind of still in your investigative mode. What's the next step? How do you guys start to move forward and figure out, I mean, I don't know what the next stage is going to look like for you guys, but how do you start to move there? That's a very good question. And, and one that I wish I knew one that I, I, I wish I could tell you, well, this is this is what's going to happen next. But mm-hmm. right now, my goal in the morning is to wake up. And my goal in the morning is to get through the day. And it it's so it's so difficult. It is just so difficult because there are days that I just want to go back to bed and I don't want to deal with life. I don't want to deal with anything. But I know that Michael wouldn't want that for me. So I know moving forward. What I would like to see is for us to find out exactly where Michael's at. Of course. I would like to be able to um, have a celebration of life for my son Mm -hmm. and celebrate him and how he has touched so many people. I mean, that I think, you know, if you were to ask me what my ultimate goal would be, that would be we just need closure for Michael. We need to, uh, to learn, uh, begin how to heal. Mm-hmm. You know, we need to heal for our family. And we really haven't had a whole lot of healing time. No, because you guys have been hitting it hard this whole time. You're still in investigative mode. You can't be in, in, in both. Well, I mean, maybe you can. I don't think I could. But it seems like it would be hard to push to the next stage when you're so immersed in the current stage of, of trying to find out what happened. Yeah. And it's still, it's still such a mystery, you know, and I go back through that night, I go back through that day and I, I look at my text message and I, and I remember Natalie texting me and asking me if I heard from Michael and I said, no, you know, and from that moment on, it was like, run, 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 like hurry up and get home, you know, grab some supplies, throw them in the car, get to Cresswell, pick up my brother and his family and get up to hobo camp and find out what the hell is going on. Like, where is he? How can he go on a camping trip and not come back? You know, are we just going to find him passed out under a tree? You know, is, mm-hmm. is he, is he just down a little bit further and just lost? But every, every, ounce of us every scenario that we've walked into everybody that we talked to we were getting different stories different timelines we were trying to get just a clear picture there was like there was just no clear picture do you feel like that could have been at all because of the drugs that those people were on or do you feel like it was more of a hiding like could it have been that they all were just high and drunk and just don't have the details or are trying to pretend that they do or do you really feel like it's more of a hidden more no, more I, malicious combination of both i think it i i think it definitely i mean i think i think their minds were definitely altered mm-hmm. i mean how could they not be with the amount of drugs and the kind of drugs that were there mm-hmm. um 
Yeah, I definitely think I definitely think that it it had a little bit to do with both. And that's why, you, like, when you did your timeline, that's why you were having so much trouble getting everything lined up on your timeline. Was you're not in a frame of knowing what time it was, mm-hmm. you know. And so you take that and the fact that people knew four or five people know exactly what happened, but they're keeping their mouths quiet. So you do uh, still think that that there are party goers there at least a few who absolutely know what happened to Michael. Yeah. Oh, there's, there's a handful of people that, um, that either know exactly what happened or what transpired right before it happened. Definitely. Okay. So, I mean, I, I just want to hear, you know, what, what's one of your favorite Michael stories or Michael memories that you kind of pull from on the days when you're, when you're struggling and, and, uh, or needing a good thought. What's what's one that you pull from, Parrish? I think the um, the first fond memory that I have is is uh, as a young boy was was being able to baptize Michael. Hmm. Um, that was very special to me. Um, and then um, on a lighter note, um, Michael loved thrill rides. Hmm. And I would load up <laughs> once or twice a year. I would load up the car with five young people and take them to Magic Mountain for two or three days. They, I, I mean, I can't, the memories that I have with Michael and his friends, Krista and her friends, those are memories that I will cherish forever. I mean, the kid laughed a full three days. <laughs> I, love I mean, that. it was just nonstop. I mean, if he wasn't making someone laugh, he was laughing himself. I mean, it was just those trips are, are forever ingrained in, in my memory. Those are the good days. Yeah. Yeah. How about you, Tina? What's one that you pull for? Mm, boy, there's so many of them. Boy Scouts, uh, singing in the car, Michael, Michael, oh gosh, we thanks. So many songs in the car. Michael and I had a song. Our special song was out, Lose Yourself by Eminem. <laughs> and, uh, That's so, a great song know, to have with your mother. I like that. We, we really, we really sang the heck out of that one. And, um, you know, just, just going to movies. Michael loved to watch movies. So we, we were always going to movies. <sighs> one time, Parrish and I volunteered to take the youth group from the church to a movie. Oh wow, that's brave. And that's very brave of you. No, it was for his birthday. It was it was for his birthday, but he invited a bunch of kids from the youth group, and <laughs> so we piled in all the cars and headed to the movie. And and I said, "Well, Michael, what's this movie called?" And he's like, "Step Brothers." Oh no! And I was like, "Oh, okay." So I had no idea what the movie was about, and we got in there, and uh, it, it was so highly inappropriate. He was. They were. Probably 14 or 15. Oh, my God. They must have been dying. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That movie's made for 14-year-old boys, I'm (laughs) pretty sure. Yeah, that trip right there, Tina and I both flunked Parenting 101. Uh, You know, it's good to flunk every once in a while. It really shines you better in your good moments. That's what I try to tell myself. So, um, I've heard you guys talking about your foundation, and tell me about that and what, what you guys are planning. Well... One thing that we've learned from this um, 
this ordeal is that there's not a lot of tools out there for the families when it comes to search and rescue. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that we really wanted to hit home on with the Michael Bryson Foundation was um, there was three things. The search and rescue part was we need to get a booklet or some kind of pamphlet, something that the sheriff can or search and rescue um, sheriff can hand out to a family when they call because generally it's 24 hours, sometimes a little longer. Um, and, you know, it, it doesn't matter in my eyes because Michael was 27 when this happened. It doesn't matter if the person missing is, is 2, 12, 20, or 40. It doesn't mm-hmm. matter right. when they're missing. They're missing. Right. Uh, and so, you guys have always said um, there's no manual for this. And exactly. so it sounds like you want to create a manual. Yes, we want to give something that they'll put it in your people's hands so they know, like, what to do in the first, you know, 12 hours, what to do in the first 24 hours. When you walk up to the place, you know, the first thing you do, you take pictures of every automobile, every license plate. You get, you gather names, you gather phone numbers. Yeah, that's a great idea. So that's the, that's one of them. The other thing that we want to do is, um, uh, scholarship for edu- uh, higher education in Michael's name. And it would be for people that are going into, the field of uh, mental health or counseling or therapist, um, similar to what Krista has done, mm-hmm. and and do a um, ongoing scholarship for that. We've also talked about um, getting people tapped in with uh, rehab. So um, if they're in a position where they don't know where to turn or they don't know who to talk to, we can point them in the right direction. Hmm. Um, yeah. And as, you know, as funds are available, you know, if, if these families are struggling and they, they can't do this, whether they have insurance or don't, and there's a copay or whatever, I mean, our long-term goal is to be able to um, scholarship some of those people into rehab. Yeah, um, I think that that's a great idea. And it's a great kind of tie. Uh, it kind of ties the two worlds, the missing missing persons world and this the struggle of, you know, some of the struggles Michael had and some of the uh, effects of that, that you guys are still dealing with today and kind of meshes them together into one foundation. Right. That's amazing. And then the, 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 the last thing it would be bring awareness to mental health, you know, not just the scholarship for people going to school for that, but also we want to have a part of the foundation that will help channel people to the right um, places to get help with mental health and, and with mental health and to also understand that mental health is, is it's okay to not be okay. I mean, we have been taught from, we were very little, you know, to act a certain way, present yourself a certain way. And it's okay to not, to not be that person all the time. Right. And you it's know? okay and to ask for help. Sure that, yeah. And we want to make sure that people understand that. Yeah. You know, um, so. I think that's an amazing next step and it's something You know, it's again, like you guys are trying to build the silver lining into this tragedy. I mean, there's been some here and there, but this could be something for someone else that saves their life. And now, you know, that family has their son because of your son and what you guys had to go through. Right. So what we want to do with the foundation um, is we want to try and get at least the website into teachers' hands so they can forward that information once the school district says, you know, yes, this is something that we can stand behind um, and get this information out to these kids that are sitting behind a computer, you know, all day and not being able to interact. And maybe you're starting to feel 
um, depression, um, right. whatever, you know, um, I, I, I don't want to bring up suicide, but suicide has went up since Absolutely. this COVID thing is hit, yep. you know, bringing awareness to all these things to help prevent a young person or an adult to go down a path of drugs and, or even suicide. I mean, if we could get word out numbers, prevention, helplines, um, anything like that into these kids' hands. I mean, that's, that's a blessing. Absolutely. We get phone calls and texts every day. Um, yeah. From, from young adults that were friends with Michael that are, are now, they're our family now. I mean, they, yeah. they're, they're our kids, you know, and they, they contact us just to check on us and make sure we're okay. And then, and also to let us know that they're okay because we've, we've told them, you know, Hey, we know that you're not okay. Right. You know, we know that you need to talk to somebody. And if you, you know, if you can't find someone to talk to, you call us. I don't care if it's, you know, what time of day or night it is you call. Right. You know? Keep me in the loop. So, and I know that's what Michael would have done too. I mean, especially talking to Robbie and Woods, but just through the collection of people that I've talked to, it's so apparent that Michael was that friend that would reach out to people who he, you know, felt like was struggling or, you know, Robbie mentioned that he was down one night and, um, he didn't even, he didn't even tell Michael that he was feeling that way, but Michael had a way of picking up on that. And, you know, Krista said that he was kind of a therapist in his own way. And so again, there's you guys going on and doing more of, of Michael's work. And that's, that's beautiful. That's a beautiful cycle right there. That's a good cycle to be in. It's, uh, Michael may not be here physically, mm-hmm. but Michael's spirit and legacy will live on. Absolutely. Tina, I want to ask you uh, first, what would you say to Michael right now if you knew that he was listening? I would tell him that I miss him and I love him so much. And I would tell him that he is changing people's lives day and night and to keep shining bright, and to keep doing his work, because he is. We've got so many people saying that Michael is changing lives. You know, moms are hugging their kids tighter. Mm -hmm. Moms are talking to their, you know, older kids about drugs and alcohol and friends and who you should trust and who you shouldn't trust. And it's it's just awareness now from Michael's story, Michael is changing lives, and he's not here physically, but spiritually, spiritually, he is. You feel it, too. I mean, sometimes I can hear, and sometimes I can feel his presence, like, super, super strong. And he's here. I mean, he he, he is watching over us. How about you, Parrish? What would you say? Uh, first of all, he knows how much his mom and dad love him, but of course he does. I mean, nobody, nobody can ever hear that enough. <laughs> so, I mean, I mean, I would of course tell him how much that we are, uh, how much we love him and how proud um, we are of him. The other thing that I would tell Michael is um, even though you're not here, you are still touching people. Like Tina said, you know, your essence, your, your legacy is, is moving mountains right now. Just the giving people the ability to to reach out. Um, I'm so proud of him. Um, I really am. There's so many things along this way that wouldn't have happened oh. without Michael. And 
you know, some of them are really beautiful and amazing and some of them are friendships and some of them are lessons and some of them are a new appreciation for things that you didn't appreciate that way before. You know, there's yep. just a million of them and you can, you can find them every day. Um, it's just looking for them and holding on to those. I think that is going to lead you to, you know, a healing place as opposed to, um, holding on to all the negative things. Cause certainly there are plenty of those too, but you know, when we talk about Michael and when I hear people talk about him, there's just this energy and this light that he had that comes out when people talk about him. And I think that that's really the legacy too, that he leaves is this infectious energy that everybody just can't stop talking about how he just affected people. Yeah. I, uh, so through the searching for Michael, um, as we came through, um, going through Christmas and whatnot, um, just when you think you are coming out the healing end, if you will, or, um, we got hit with another blow and that is, um, I was diagnosed with cancer. Jeez. I'm so about sorry. a month ago. Um, it's, it's, it is stage three, but you know, I, I, I feel good. I'm, I'm strong. The, the only reason it's stage three is because it's, it is in some of my lymph nodes, but I've got a really good prognosis and, um, I've got a team of doctors that are hitting this hard. Okay. Um, I'll be going through, um, radiation and chemo at the same time for five weeks. They're good. They're being very aggressive. I'm not asking for sympathy or anything else. I'm just asking for more prayer, but. Through this um, situation, I, I have strength. Like I said, every day when I get up to do the things I need to do, and I still have the strength to search for Michael and, and get answers. So, I mean, even in, quote, unquote, my darkest hour right now, there's still light coming from that with Michael's story. You guys just amaze me. I mean, it's been one thing after another for the last five months for you and just your perspective on things, the way that you're, you're able to look at things and still laugh too. Every time I talk to you, we laugh. It's so refreshing and it's, it gives me so much hope. Um, I know that you guys are as strong as they come. You will make it through whatever that has been proven now. Yeah. We're not finished. Um, no, like I said before, we're not going away. We're going to be front and center in a lot of people's faces until Michael's home. And Amanda, we we would also just like to take this opportunity. I know we've told you before, but we really do appreciate everything that you've done, getting Michael's story out there. You've touched a lot of lives, too, whether you know it or not. You have touched a lot of lives, and we just really appreciate the time and the effort that you have put into it. Thank you. Well, you're so welcome, and it's been absolutely um, eye-opening and just it changed my life. You know, I've just been kind of along on this ride, but I really do have a personal connection to you guys. I love you guys. I think you're great people. I will, I will always have this connection to you guys now. And it's been a surreal situation, but I am so glad to be a part of it and be just a friend to Michael's story. This is kind of the finale, we'll call it, quote unquote, because it's the last episode that I'm going to do all in a row like this. And we're going to let things settle down and let, you know, you and your family tackle this other thing that you have going on now um, with your health and let law enforcement do whatever it is that they're going to do to push this forward. But absolutely, as updates come out, this is not over. There will be an update to this and it will be we found Michael, here's what happened. 
Yep. Answers are coming. So what's next for me and nowhere to be found? That's been a question that's stumped me for weeks now. Podcasting has become a passion of mine. While researching Michael's case, I began to realize how many missing people we have right here in the Pacific Northwest. It scared me, and it also made me want to look deeper. The podcast has brought Michael's name to the public eye in a global way, and I know that there are so many other cases and families that deserve to have their names and stories out there too. So starting in March, I'll begin season two with a new case. On Sunday, January 31st, I'll be announcing some of the details of this case on our newly launched website, nowheretobefoundpodcast.com. Other things you can find on the website from Michael's case include a map of Hobo Campground, the timeline, and all of the episodes are available to listen to. So check it out at nowheretobefoundpodcast.com. I want to thank everyone who has stuck with us this season as we have learned to navigate the podcasting world. And I hope that you'll try out season two as we get to know another family and another case. Also, to make sure that you're alerted when I do add a new episode to season one, make sure to subscribe to Nowhere to Be Found on whichever platform you listen from. You should also follow the Nowhere to Be Found Facebook page because I will always post new episodes there as well. Michael Anthony Bryson touched a lot of lives in his 27 years and he continues to touch people's lives, even in his absence. I don't know what happened to Michael, but I hope that if somebody out there does, that they will find the courage to come forward. Michael was a good person, and he deserves better than this. I want to end this season with a question. How would you be remembered if you weren't here tomorrow? It's a hard question that many of us will never know the answer to, because you never know what little events are captured in someone else's memory. What defining moments people will always remember you by. Here are some of Michael's moments. But one of my fondest memories, he, he was actually in my wedding, the, the ring bearer. When I think about Michael, all I see is that two and a half or three year old in a tux with the big old tie and everything. <laughs> and he was the absolute cutest little kid. I mean, that's how I like to look at Michael is, I mean, just that innocent little cute, fun-loving prankster kid. My name is Emily, and I'm a close friend of the Bryson family. I've known Michael for just over 15 years now, and one thing I'd like to share about him is his silly dance moves and his contagious smile. He was always goofing off and goofing around and wanting people around him to have a good time and smile and laugh as well. We love you, Michael. We miss you, Michael. And we can't wait to see you again. Hi, my name is Matt Schifani. I'm a teacher at Harrisburg High School, and Michael was a student of mine. I know it's been a number of years since Michael was at Harrisburg, but just wanted to say from the Harrisburg family, especially those who are still there from when Michael was around, myself, uh, Miss Nolan, uh, Mr. Ellis, Mr. Beckstead, Stauber, uh, even though he's not there anymore, Mr. E, uh, we miss you, brother, and uh, we hope you come home soon. My name is Katie, and I met Michael in 2013. Michael and I started off as friends, but we began dating later that year, and we were together for about a year and a half. I have so many memories of Michael on a permanent loop in my head. 
but there's one that shines brightest in my mind even after all these years. The summer I met Michael, we attended a three-day-long music festival just outside of Eugene with about 20 of our closest friends at that time. That was only the second or third time I had ever met Michael. On the last night of the festival, we were in a crowd of people dancing when Michael suddenly stopped, grabbed my arm, looked me dead in the face, pointed at the food trucks all the way across the field, and grinned from ear to ear. I bought us a pulled pork sandwich to share, and we twirled around in the grass, passing it back and forth like we were old friends. That's the thing about Michael. He instantly made you feel like an irreplaceable part of his life, almost like a piece of him had always belonged to you. When I close my eyes, I can still see Michael smiling, barbecue sauce dripping down his face, pulled pork sandwich raised high above his head, spinning around like a crazy person, while Empire of the Sun plays in the distance. That moment of pure happiness, of complete, unadulterated, unfiltered Michael Bliss is how I choose to remember him. And that's the piece of Michael that will always belong to me. One thing that I'm sure of, beyond a shadow of a doubt, is the evil of this world where Satan thought that they were taking somebody out when they took Michael. They did just the opposite. Michael has started a fire in so many people's lives and in their hearts that this fire is not going out and it is burning bright and it's gonna it's gonna shine for a long time. We've been asked how our listeners can contribute to the show, so we set up an account with Patreon. Check out the link in our show notes if you're interested in supporting our cause. You can also find it on our website, nowheretobefoundpodcast.com.